0: You're listening to Sweet Talk, All Things Maple.
1: Welcome back. I'm your co-host, Aaron Whiteman. Joining me from the Adirondacks is my colleague and co-director of the Cornell Maple Program, Adam Wild. Hi, Adam. Hi, Aaron. How are things in North Country? Have you wrapped up the birch and beech syrup seasons?
0: It's been cold and rainy here. We're still going slowly with our, our birch and beech, but... I wish we had this weather a month ago when maple sap was still flowing. Our our maple and birch season traded places this year. For birch and beech sap flow, we want warmer weather, but unfortunately that warmer weather was during the maple season, and as soon as the maple stopped flowing, it got cold and wet. So, not the greatest. How are things going at the Arnott Forest? Have you pulled all your spouts?
1: Yes, we're all wrapped up for the season. It was really a disappointing season in many ways for the same reasons. The weather just didn't cooperate. But it's over now, and we're past the sugaring season, and we're looking forward to summer. So we thought this was a good time to talk about sugar bush management. You and I both have a background in forest science, so this is a topic of special interest to us. But it's also something that is likely to interest most sugar makers, right?
0: Yeah, it's really important because our sugar bush is the natural resource that we depend on for our crop. So keeping it healthy and productive is really important. There are a lot of variables and different factors to consider when thinking about sugar bush health. There are individual tree considerations, the ecosystem factors, and a host of other issues. So it's really interesting to think about how all those factors intertwine to maximize forest health and productivity.
1: Yes, there's definitely a lot to consider. And to shed some light on this, we'll be joined by two forest management specialists with different perspectives. First, we'll talk to Dr. Peter Smolich from Cornell University to discuss management concepts for maintaining a healthy working forest. And we'll also talk to Zachary Borman from the New York Audubon Society to explore sugarbush management from a wildlife conservation point of view.
0: That sounds really interesting. Let's go ahead and listen.
1: Hi, I'm Aaron Whiteman, and we're recording this morning from the Arnott Forest near Ithaca, New York, where we're joined by Dr. Peter Smallidge. Peter is the New York State Extension Forester and Director of the Arnott Teaching and Research Forest. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Aaron. delightful to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience working in Maple Research and Extension?
2: I've been working with Maple Research and Extension since the late 90s, and in those early days, there was a lot of effort to work through the cooperative extension system. We had developed what was called the Cornell Maple Team, and it was a collection of county extension educators from across New York that worked in their respective Cornell Cooperative Extension County office. And we did a training with them up at Lake Placid, which at that time was kind of the central hub for research and part of the Cornell Maple program. And then in the next two years of that project, the county educators had program activities that they did with maple producers. This was the earliest and and a very powerful way to really start building those relationships between Cornell University Cornell Cooperative Extension and maple producers in New York. And then in the early 2000s, I shifted some of my research to focus primarily on sugar maple trees, my backgrounds in forest management and forest ecology. So my interest was in how do the growing conditions that surround maple trees influence their ability to produce maple sugar. So that had me in the woods doing research and it also had me interacting with maple producers during maple schools and we had some on-farm research that we did with a number of maple producers around the state and so there's a lot of interaction. It was maple producers are a great audience to work with. They're to a person I think have always been very accommodating, very interested in the work that Cornell is doing very receptive to sharing their experiences and what they like and what they don't like about how their production systems work and being receptive to the kinds of information that we're
1: producing. So why is it important to engage in active management of a sugar bush? I might walk out into my woods and see large trees that look healthy and they're healthy enough to tap. So should I still be, as a sugar maker, thinking about an active management
2: plan? So... A maple producer has a what I call a production system. So that's you've got trees and collection systems and roads and trails and tanks and evaporators and RO and all of the pieces. Of all of those pieces, there are two assets that can appreciate in value. One is the people that are part of that system because as they learn more, they get better. The other part is the trees. Those can get better through time. Everything else depreciates through time. And... It seems strategically advantageous to make sure that your assets that are going to get better through time actually do get better through time. And so for forest trees, the way we do that is by making sure that those trees are able to grow well, that they have access to sunlight, which is for sugar maple trees is usually their primary limiting environmental variable. Through good management, you're going to have the greatest opportunity for long-lived, healthy and productive trees. A second benefit is that in the process of managing, you're going to be paying attention to details in the woods that you might otherwise miss. And so by doing that, you can more likely anticipate problems before they happen. So the easiest example to think about is a forest tent caterpillar outbreak where you start to see some early signs of forest tent caterpillar, and you can anticipate the potential for those populations growing and reaching a population size where you're going to have problems. Other things that you might see in your sugar bush that can foretell problems would be too much browsing by deer, the expansion of invasive or interfering plant species, poor drainage problems, things like that. And then finally, management usually results in the ability to integrate other products into your Sugar bush. So you may be producing firewood. You may have timber stems that can come out for high value hardwood products. You may have other agroforestry enterprises that you're interested in and then other aesthetic values. So it might be bird watching or botanical interests or things like that. So there's there are a host of benefits associated with being actively engaged in management.
1: So this podcast is oriented towards sugar makers, but maple producers aren't the only ones that rely on a forest to make their living.
3: So in New York, we have kind of a unique mix of bird species in our forest. So we have resident species who are here year round, like your white-breasted nuthatches and American woodcock, as well as migratory species like scarlet tanager and wood thrush. And northern New York specifically is home to some of the highest breeding bird concentrations in the continental U.S. It's kind of a range that stretches from the northern Adirondacks over to Maine. And unfortunately, a third of all these eastern forest species have experienced some significant decline over the past 50 years. So wood thrush, for example, one of our migratory species, has declined over 63%. So we're really looking to enhance habitat for not only our resident species, but also those migratory species that we see from May through late July.
1: You just heard Zach Borman, Forest Program Associate for Audubon New York. Together we have been working on forest management prescriptions for sugar makers that benefit birds, culminating in the Bird-Friendly Maple Program. So
3: the Bird-Friendly Maple Program Addresses the issue of habitat quality by incentivizing active forest management with marketing materials that Audubon provides. So we head out into the sugar bush for a producer and perform a forest inventory. And then, if the maple producer is meeting those requirements, in exchange, we give them product labels, sugar house signage that acknowledge their contribution to sustaining important bird habitat in their sugar bush.
1: One thing that non-birders might not appreciate is how many people are interested in birds and birding and what a big industry it is. I've heard that birders spend something like $40 billion a year on birdseed, binoculars, guides, trips to see different birds, etc. So it's a huge amount of economic activity, and it seems like a significant potential opportunity for sugar makers. Does this program somehow leverage that enthusiasm about birds to the sugar maker's advantage?
3: Yeah, we're really hoping to expose the products to a new client base who might just be, they love birds. There's a scarlet tanager on the product labels, and folks can point that out pretty easily. So hopefully, similar to labeling something as certified organic, this is certified to to benefit birds. Hopefully, that's getting more exposure to a different market. Some of that additional revenue from that exposure might offset some of the costs of performing this management. Maybe you need to take down a few snags or increase your species diversity and the income that you receive from this additional marketing help might help offset that cost.
1: So our guests are making a pretty strong case for management from a lot of different perspectives. Let's drill down on the science a little bit. I asked Peter from a forest science standpoint, What are some of the main considerations to look at for optimizing sugar bush health and productivity over time?
2: The research that we're working on through the Cornell Maple Program is to try to develop prescriptions that we can give to foresters and to maple producers so that they can go into the woods and with confidence know that what they're doing is optimizing production from those trees. So sugar maple trees are fairly capable as a species to be able to survive in low light conditions but those trees are not going to optimize their production their outputs unless they have good access to sunlight so sunlight is first and foremost what sugar maple needs so through thinning we're able to make sure that those trees have access to sunlight the two strategies that we use one is called crop tree management where you identify particularly favorable sugar maple trees and make sure that those trees are what we call free to grow on at least 50% of the crown. So it's one tree at a time. You look at a tree, you evaluate the crown, you look at the neighbors and you say, which of these neighboring trees does it make sense to cut? And not all trees, trees are not created equal. And there are some trees that are next to your crop tree that should be cut so that you can favor the growth on your crop tree. The other strategy measures what's called stocking. So any kind of of an asset that you have, like trees or like cattle in a pasture, you can always squeeze more of that asset into an area than what that area can comfortably provide for. And so the process of managing the stocking level is a little more complicated and nuanced, but essentially, looks to equalize the amount of sunlight that's available on any given acre so that the trees that remain are able to produce well. And that's where we're hoping to get is to be able to get some very specific guidelines. The timber stocking guidelines are fairly well established. Forestry as a science has been doing this for over a 100 years. So currently we're recommending something close to the optimization
1: stocking for timber or a little bit less than that. In the background, you just heard our maple crew moving sap tanks to our newly constructed sugar house. We took a little pause in our interview to allow the tractor to pass.
2: The biggest challenge that I've observed as I work with maple producers is the sensitivity that they have to cutting trees, and that's understandable. I'm not being critical of their reluctance to cut trees. Their job and their passion is to grow trees to produce syrup, but but once they know that they need to balance the sunlight and, and the canopy shape and size of these trees, some trees need to be cut, and at some points you may actually need to cut a maple tree. So my research has been focusing on being able to explain whether or not there's truly a benefit to thinning around maple trees. So all of my research is really about how to make trees grow faster by giving them more sunlight, which we know happens, we've known that for 100 years, but then when maple trees grow faster because they have more sunlight, what does that mean for the bottom line of sugar production, so sugar concentration in the sap, and the volume of sap that's being produced. So with the Cornell Maple program and support by USDA and the ACER grants that we have one basic project that's split apart into kind of three different areas, two locations at the Arnott Forest and then also at the E-line Sugar Maple Forest in Lake Placid. And we're looking at how mature trees, so trees that are probably more than 150 years old, respond to thinning, which they do. And then more recently, we've started a project where we're going to be thinning in a younger sugar bush, probably a sugar bush that's in the 60 to 80 year range. And what we're doing is we're collecting pre harvesting data. So we we look at sugar and sap volume from trees before thinning and then on individually monitored trees. Then we conduct a thinning and we follow those trees through time to see how they change. We knew that increasing sunlight increased growth of trees. What we didn't expect, or what I didn't expect, was that the first response of the tree is that there's a greater yield of sap as the trees grow faster. So faster growing trees seem to produce more sap. There's not an immediate response of sugar. So we're not seeing those trees necessarily increase their sugar yield. The more sunlight those trees get, the faster their growth rate is. And so the trees that have more sunlight have better growth. They have better vigor. And that vigor is a reflection of the tree's ability to be resilient to various stress events such as insectifoliations and drought.
1: So thinning by removing inferior trees to release crop trees is one way to manage for sugar maple productivity and healthy resilient trees with fast growth rates. Resilience is of high importance in thinking about managing a sugar bush because the trees will experience numerous stressors over their lifespan.
2: Something that's particularly relevant for maple trees are healthy root systems. And we don't see root systems. We know that root systems can extend beyond the drip line of the tree. There's more evidence now that anything that we're doing that compacts the soil or that shears the root systems is going to damage that tree. You don't see an immediate negative response. So there's no feedback to whoever's doing that damage to know that they've caused a problem, but what it does is it sets up a predisposing condition so that the trees are less able to respond to future stress events such as a drought or an insect defoliation or a late season frost or something like that. So light is most important. Healthy root systems are very important. The structural integrity of the stem is particularly important. The structural integrity is what we would call a defect in the stem. So it might be an injury caused by something like a sugar maple bore, a native insect. It might be where some previous driver of a tractor bumped up against a tree and created a wound on the base of the stem. It might be a fork in the tree that's weak that is subject to stresses of the two primary branches of that fork. So these are things that could eventually fail on the tree. And then the time prior to that failure, the tree that has the significant defects is going to be competing with sunlight for adjacent trees. Now, not every defect is going to result in the failure of a tree because there's a lot of big trees that have defects. So, those are kind of tree level considerations. At the scale of the management unit or the whole sugar bush, we can think about things such as plant diversity and having a diversity of trees in the canopy is important because essentially it dilutes the presence of sugar maples. So, when defoliating insects are present, then it kind of offsets their ability to search and find sugar maple. Now, those insects that are focused on sugar maple do pretty good at that, but you're not then left with a completely denuded sugar bush if you have some defoliations. So plant diversity is important. And sugar maple, again, because it's a finicky species, it's not going to be able to grow well in every location in the sugar bush. You're going to have dry locations or wetter locations and other species are more suitable there.
1: What Peter was saying about plant diversity had me thinking about the idea of habitat quality. It's important to keep in mind that not all forests are equal in terms of habitat quality. I asked Zach to tell me more about ecosystem health and specifically what key attributes are needed to make quality habitat for birds.
3: We look for four kind of key attributes. So the first one is... Overall, we just want to see increased diversity in the forest. And the first way we can increase diversity is looking at species diversity. And this is especially important in a sugar bush because it can kind of trend towards a sugar maple monoculture. And there have been bird studies that show that with an increase in your sugar maple basal area, and basal area just being the density of stems of that specific species, as that increases, we see a decrease in both species diversity and abundance of birds. So, one of the metrics that we use is that over at least 25% of the species mix in the sugar bush is represented by species other than sugar maple. So, that's our kind of first point of diversity that we look for for good habitat when we're in the sugar bush. And then we also want to have multiple size classes present. So like you mentioned, a lot of people imagine seeing these tall, mature, healthy trees and assume that the forest is healthy, but we also need these seedlings and saplings in the understory to provide some of that ground level cover for species that look for nesting and foraging opportunities there. We like to see at least 25% cover in both the understory and the midstory in the forest. So you can kind of picture that as like a green wall. So instead of a park-like structure where you're going into the woods and you can see for a while through the trees, we really would, from a bird habitat perspective, like it to be really messy, you know, almost look like you can't walk through the forest. So there's a lot of cover present for all those species. And then the third thing we look for are standing dead trees or snags. And this is often pretty easy to find in a sugar bush because sugar maples' ability to retain these large cavities without dying or falling over. So we tend to see those in the the older, more mature trees. And these are great for species like downy woodpecker. But in cases where folks don't have these standing dead trees or snags, and we need to maybe recruit some to meet these habitat requirements, these can also be outside of your tapped area. It's hard to retain snags with a lot of sap lines around. It's a little bit of a threat to your production. So we count those trees that are maybe on another part of your property towards that habitat requirement. And then along the same lines, the fourth thing we look for is the woody material on the forest floor. So we look for small brush piles. And then what's often missing are these large logs over 10 inches in diameter that can be used for roughed grouse drumming. Then those smaller piles are used for nesting for oven bird. So those are the four main points that we look for when we're in the sugar bush doing a forest inventory to increase diversity.
1: So in other words, we're looking for a mix of tree species a mix of sizes, plenty of cavity trees and standing dead trees, and a messy forest floor with lots of branches and trunks laying on the ground.
3: Yep, that's it. And oftentimes, you know, when we start to look at these metrics and these habitat goals that we have, it's something that the producer is already achieving. So the species diversity, for example, retaining at least 25% of your tree species diversity in something other than sugar maple is beneficial to present past infestation from forest tent caterpillar and sugar maple borer. So these are achievable goals, and they kind of work hand-in-hand hand with sustainable forest management. They just also happen to benefit birds as well.
2: Two other considerations related to optimizing sugar bush health include paying attention to interfering vegetation. There's both native and non-native species, but these are plants that have succeeded at what they're doing and they can occupy the understory a longer term benefit of managing and and being alert to interfering vegetation is that at some point when that sugar bush is poised to be regenerated the interfering vegetation creates a shaded condition that limits the ability of sugar maple to regenerate so that has a, a longer term consequence Now in both of those cases, or in the case of interfering vegetation, often those problems develop because of an overabundance of deer. Deer which eat desirable species and don't eat the interfering species.
1: I think that's one of the challenges working in forestry. The lifespan of trees is so long and the changes take place over such a great length of time, that it's sometimes hard to envision the future forest when we're thinking so much about the present. And one thing that comes to mind is the idea of regeneration, something that a lot of folks don't realize, especially in New York State, looking around, they see hills filled with green trees, is there's actually a crisis in regeneration because there's nothing growing in the understory. And that, of course, is a concern to sugar makers who are thinking about the legacy of their sugar bush. Is that something you're looking at as well with your research?
2: So another part of my research program is all about how to regenerate the forest. And what we've found is that there are two primary barriers to successful forest regeneration. The primary barrier is the overabundance of whitetail deer. Whitetail deer are a selective browser. So when they walk through the woods, they will preferentially select some species to eat and they will preferentially avoid other species to not eat. And that's based on the nutritional quality of the plant. And pretty much all deer do is eat, except during the rut when they are otherwise occupied. A deer needs about seven pounds of fresh weight per day, and that amounts to thousands of the tips of tree seedlings. And then as they browse and re-browse those desired plants, species like sugar maple and red oak, and red maple and basswood and ash, those trees never get taller, but the other trees like American beech and hop hornbeam and striped maple and multiflora rose and bush honeysuckle will continue to grow taller because those are not browsed. So the deer have this dual impact that they're physically diminishing the size and the abundance of the desirable species. And while they're doing that, they're allowing other species that are not as valuable for what maple producers are interested in to expand and to become more dominant. Those plants then create a dense shade that further limits the growth of the desired species, sugar maple, red maple, basswood, and whatever. So the issue of regeneration is profound. We have a lot of trouble trying to successfully regrow hardwood forests. And in fact, if you take no action other than cutting trees to create sunlight on the forest floor, you're not going to be able to regenerate the trees that you want to regenerate.
3: Yeah, so we're seeing in New York specifically a lot of even-aged forests. So whether those forests are reverting back from agricultural use or heavy harvesting in the past, We see a lot of potential habitat for these mature forest species, but these birds have needs outside of just nesting in the mature dominant canopy. They need some cover in the understory and the midstory as well. And that's especially true for some of these migratory species who will nest in the overstory and need some nearby young forest to forage once they have left the nest. You kind of need that interplay between both habitat types.
1: So what can sugar makers do about regeneration? So we've developed a couple of different strategies that
2: we've tested that allow opportunities for maple producers at different sizes of harvest to be able to effectively regenerate their sugar bush. One strategy that I think is relevant to many maple producers is what we call our patch cut project, where we worked with maple producers and other woodlot owners, and we would go in and we would heavily thin Small areas, maybe a quarter of an acre in size, which isn't very big. We would leave behind the maple trees, and so there's no impact on production. And then we worked with two different fencing designs that were very low cost to install. And then the fencing system that we use was relatively short. It's only a five foot fence, and it's only four and a half feet tall. So there's a plastic mesh fence, and it has an apron at the bottom of about half a foot, and it's attached around. The perimeter of this opening, using the trees, so we don't use any posts, and we use blocks of wood. There's a special way that you attach them to the tree to protect the trees. And because it's a small opening, deer are disinclined to jump inside that. Deer can easily jump a 10-foot fence, so a 5-foot fence isn't a problem. But because it's a small area, there's something about that small area that makes deer feel uncomfortable. What we've seen is that we can get a two to seven fold faster growth of seedlings inside these fences than outside those fences. So it's a way for a maple producer to maintain their maple trees, increase the diversity of plants that are growing because they're protected from deer. It's a low cost fencing design when we've calculated the total cost, including if you pay yourself about $15 an hour, if you hire your nephew or your niece to put it up to pay them $15 an hour, it works out to be just slightly over 50 cents a foot. So if you have a couple hundred feet of fencing, you can put that up for a relatively small investment that has a positive impact on the growth of those future trees. Now, the The clincher of this is that fence has to be maintained. If you don't maintain it, branches fall on it, animals may get caught in it, and if something happens, you get a deer on the inside, they'll have a very profound impact. The other regeneration strategy that we've worked with is a much more intensive effort. It's usually done on a larger area, anywhere from a few acres to dozens of acres, and that's what we call a slash wall. And when you're doing an intensive harvest, You work with a logger that has equipment that allows them to pile slash in a dense corridor around the perimeter of the harvest. We have seen that this is effective at keeping deer out and we have faster growth rate of species that would otherwise be browsed faster growth inside the slash wall than outside the slash wall. So if you're planning a large harvest and it may not be part of your sugar bush, it may be part of some other portion of your property. If you want more information on Slash Walls, our website is slashwall.info. So www.slashwall.info.
1: Peter, thanks for being on today. I really appreciate all the information you shared and also all the research you do to help keep our sugar bushes productive. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Well, Adam, what did you think of Peter and Zach's insights?
0: Those were really interesting perspectives. There are a lot of things to think about with managing a sugar bush. I was really struck by when Zach was talking about how important it is to manage a forest for bird habitat. But I was also really surprised at how simple it is to create a bird-friendly habitat and how that can be a great marketing tool for the maple industry.
1: Yeah, definitely interesting. And one thing that jumps out to me is how different maple is from other agricultural industries. We're actually managing an intact forest ecosystem, and we have a chance to actually improve the quality of that ecosystem through our work. So that's very different and is something that distinguishes us from other industries. But in the end, all those things tie together, whether it's bird habitat or sugar production, a healthy forest is a productive forest.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Where can our listeners go to find out more information on sugar bush management?
1: Our listeners can go to forestconnect.com, all one word, to learn more about Peter's work. And for more information about the Bird-Friendly Maple program, visit ny.audubon.org.
0: Great. See you next time on Sweet Talk, All Things Maple. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk, All Things Maple with Aaron and Adam. Sweet Talk is produced by the Cornell Maple Program and is made possible from funding from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. All music was obtained from Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on all things maple, visit cornellmaple.com. Join us next time for more Maple Sweet Talk. Have a sweet day.